Hey, Rockheads. This is Music to Code by Track 12. Check this out. Oh yeah, just what you need to get in the zone when you write code. And get this, we just added a site license. Download it once, share it with everybody in your office. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Net Rocks, episode 1300, with guests Bill Wagner, Udi DeHaan, Nick Molnar, and Jimmy Bogard. Recorded Sunday, May 1st, 2016. Hey, Belgium! It's .NET Rocks! Very subdued. It's early morning, dude. What can you do? Yeah. Well, we are here at Techorama for the first time. The .NET Rocks has been done here. Yeah, I was here a couple of years ago on my own. Actually, I brought the, the youngest daughter with me. We had some good fun and did a few sessions, but now we get to do DNR. Right. And uh, this is an open source panel. We have four esteemed panelists here, and I will let them introduce themselves. Bill? Morning, Carl. Morning, Richard. Morning, dude. Um, president of the Humanitarian Toolbox. We build open source software for disaster relief efforts. Uh, also work on the .NET Core content team. So we build all the learning materials for people learning .NET Core and uh, the latest releases there. You're also in the .NET Foundation, too. .NET Foundation, which is the governing body under which all of the .NET ecosystem is hopefully managed. You know, there's a lot of projects in a lot of places. .NET Foundation is trying to be a place to put your project in, in a nice home to, to support them. And I'm pretty sure we have at least one other project person here that's in the, that has their project at the .NET Foundation. But let's move down the line. Udi. All right. Hi, my name's Udi Dahan. I founded an open source project, probably it's about seven or eight years ago, called In Service Bus. Uh, I also do architecture and domain-driven design and kind of big picture, big system scalability stuff. And um, I think that I'm probably the only one that did uh, a pivot from free open source to commercial open source here. So uh, I might talk a little bit about that. Awesome, man. Nick. Hello, my name is Nick Molnar. A little over five years ago, I founded an open source project called Glimpse that is now sponsored by Microsoft, where I work on that project full-time. Jimmy. And uh, my name is Jimmy, uh, author of AutoMapper, which is the most popular open source framework in .NET. That is not Microsoft. Uh, that is not unit testing based. That is not JSON based in the Northwestern Hemisphere. <laughs> Congratulations. And, only, and, yes. and it's the only, and when compiled on Wednesdays. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, a great panel, and uh, we have a lot of changes in .NET lately. Uh, in the last few years, some would say under Satya, there's been a lot of change. I guess, uh, where should we start? Bill? Sure. Okay, so several different things. One you now have the .NET Foundation. So the idea there is the .NET Foundation provides stewardship for open source projects in the .NET ecosystem. That's everything from licensing, marketing, tools for release management, CI builds, and so on. And um, also uh, legal advice, protection, and so on. Um, that is for both projects that were created inside Microsoft that are being open sourced things like the core framework, ASP.NET, Roslyn, and so on, TypeScript, and more and more and more, and projects that started outside of Microsoft. So 
next project that he should talk about is a little different because it started outside of Microsoft, but by the time it got in the foundation, I think it was already after they started to sponsor it. I'm not actually in the foundation. There we go. The so Glimpse oh, is not the foundation. Not in the foundation. It is not, no. We were also bringing in Rejected. projects from the uh, open source community, things like um, MVVM Lite is in the um, yeah, foundation. Lauren Bernians. Uh, Prism. Brian yeah. and Brian, Brian Lagunas, Brian Noyes. Oh, the Prism was originally a PMP project. Right, then it came out of there, became open source, not created or owned by Microsoft, but by the community, and then it's now in the foundation. Mm -hmm. Right, and um, Cake, I think, recently got added. Open Live Writer is now in. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting story. That's an interesting story. Someday they'll make a movie about that. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that's basically what we do there. And where there's this big change is now the idea that the .NET framework and the .NET ecosystem isn't necessarily part of the OS all the time. It's now self-contained with your application. You can pull whichever parts of it that you need. Yep. Those come in as NuGet packages and so on. It runs on a Mac, it runs on Linux, and so on and so forth. Totally open, design in the open, future things in the open. The teams are working in the open. Cool stuff. And C Sharp? Is also open source. The Roslyn project, both C Sharp and VB.NET compilers are open source, and including all the language design notes are now posted as issues on GitHub for anyone in the community to comment on. Do you want to see where the language and, goes or And not? just one more, Xamarin. The Xamarin ability to now? write C Sharp for Android and iOS, also open source. Also open source. That was announced at Xamarin Evolve last week, and I've already forked it. I'm <laughs> and you can make go. a better version. I know you can. No, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, I always fork things, so then I've got a copy if, I, if there's something I want to work on. Right. That's cool. I mean, the foundation's an interesting viewpoint on just, you know, I work mostly with large enterprises when I do real work, which is not all that often. Uh, and the foundation is something that makes them more confident in this idea of using open source. Like, to me, that seemed to be the reason for it, was when big organizations want to look at open source, they want some sense that the project's going to stay alive. And some of that is avoiding the idea of open source being abandoned where. Right. Right. So the foundation now says, here's the place it is. A, a big part of that is also the um, indemnification clauses that a foundation like the Apache Foundation or... Um, the .NET Foundation at one point, or um, you know, now um, the .NET Foundation provides that for the projects that are in there, right? So there's mm -hmm. indemnification for people using it, and CLAs and, and that whole bit is all taken care of through the foundation. And so this is more if somebody comes in from the side, essentially saying, you know, that's my code, or this, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, you don't have rights to use that. The companies that are using the project aren't liable. The foundation deals with that. Right, and then I think Nick can probably add more there. He's got quite a bit of experience with Glimpse as well in terms of what they did to make that happen. What? Did you have some legal troubles with Glimpse, dude? No. No, no, no we well. had no legal troubles with Glimpse. Okay. We, uh, we, we did make a boneheaded move when Glimpse came out, and the very first release, 0 0.75, was a Creative Commons license, which apparently is not the right thing to do. Okay. It sounds good, though. It does, right? And Creative the, Commons. Dude, that's awesome. No, that's really more for content, not so much for... Wait, wait, wait. You released Glimpse under a Creative Commons license? Yeah, dude, it was awesome. Back uh -oh. off. Yeah, there's the project okay. leader over there looking at you like, <laughs> what have you done? Well, yeah, he's not the first one to have done that. We fixed it. <laughs> okay. 076 was, was Apache 2 license, and that's very compatible with everything okay. that so, ASP.NET team was doing. What, what happened with the whole Creative Commons license? Like, what, what was the reaction? Why, why did you realize you abruptly needed to fix it? Uh, so the night we released it, this is at Mix 11, Phil Hack came up to me, who was the PM of MVC at the time, and says, Glimpse is awesome, what license is it under? And full of pride, I said, Creative Commons, you should see it. <laughs> and he, he literally like slapped his head and said, no. you got a lot to learn. <laughs> and so that was my first, my first foray into open source, and so we switched it to Apache, I think, literally the next day with nice. a little bit of guidance from him. And uh, we kind of figured out what licensing means. I actually think this is, this is kind of uh, interesting in general, right? We're talking about Microsoft and open source. I feel like when Microsoft first started dipping their toes into that, into open source, you saw them doing open source their way. So there was MSPL, which is what MVC came out on, right? That's Microsoft's own permissive license. And now they're going to Apache and they're using MIT and they're right. kind of embracing what the community. Well, there was using. plenty of lashback about MSPL as well. 
Oh, yeah, certainly, certainly. And, and, that, and I think that was fair right. from the community to have that backlash. Well, the, what reason is there to invent a new license? And, and for that reason, why is MIT so desirable? Like uh, a, a lot of these, uh, you know, Xamarin uh, is, is MIT licensed and all that. What, what's so great about MIT? Short. So you can read the MIT license and understand what it means. Apache goes on and on and on and on. Uh, um, there's other things like patents are the difference between Apache, uh, Apache and MIT. I think it's the other really big thing between the two. But for me, choosing MIT was because I could read it and uh, understand it. Jimmy's right. The Apache license or the MIT license is shorter. One of the bigger differences is the um, Apache license has patent protection for the open source project. Okay, so if you put patentable stuff in an Apache project, you still retain the patent rights for other things, okay? If you put it out in an MIT license, then you're saying anybody can use this. Now, so this gets to part of what the foundation does when we're working with people that want to bring something to open source in both choosing the license and then in how we guide them into what the license is and what should be released and open understanding what rights you're giving somebody else to use it. So both MIT and Apache allow for commercial use, allow for forking it. You have to do the correct attribution if you were forking it and making a copy of it and extending it and so on. But, but that, just attribution is no copy left effects or anything like right. that. Right, so it's not like the GPL or something like that which prohibits commercial use. Mm -hmm. which you probably have something to talk about with what you're doing with an open source project and trying to monetize it and so on. So that's, that, that's the main reason why those different licenses were, were chosen. One of the big complaints with the original MSPL was that one of its restrictions was you could only run the code on a Windows operating system, which if you look at where .NET is going, being yeah, a multi-platform. Yeah, it makes no sense at all. Makes no sense at all anymore, and that was one of the big community backlashes. You know, Miguel was very vocal about that with what that meant for Xamarin at the time. So. Udi, I feel like we could have left you out because you're a funny cat. You're actually trying to make a living. <laughs> I mean, Nick's got a job. Uh, Jimmy's kind of accidental. <laughs> now, now that I have stock, I, I don't care about open source at all. It's like, to make money. <laughs> it's a joke. It's so how, are you, how does a commercial product like N-Service Bus work in an open source world there, Udi? So I think that one of the things that we've talked a lot about is, let's call it the contributor perspective. Right. Uh, where if I go back to you know, pre and service bus days and I as a consumer of open source software, and I guess it's probably true of a lot of you, you're kind of sitting here saying, I am not a lawyer, I do not care. Uh, the, thing about I like, the thing that I like about open source is it's free. Right. And the, the type of thinking that went through my head as, as a .NET developer starting to use open source software in the early days of open source and the kind of interactions that I've had with with and service bus users over the, the years is um, the, the story kind of goes something like this if it's free my manager won't say no <laughs> yeah I like it it's free that's kind of really the, the, the main thinking that I had as a user of software my manager will let me do it but uh, in talking to various managers the, the most common conversation is not how much does it cost, but when we're in trouble, when the system goes down because of this code, uh, A, can you fix it? Do you understand what it does? Is it small enough that we could actually work around it if there's right. a real problem with it? Or if not, how do we get support for this thing? Because we're building meaningful systems around it and the business value of those systems is high enough for us to want to have answers to these questions. Those were the kinds of things when I was starting out as a, as a developer using open source software, didn't really cross my mind. It was the, this lets me get my features done faster, therefore you know, we should use it. My boss would probably say, not let me do it if it, ha if it had any cost. Not that I really asked him at the time whether that would be a blocker, but that was my thinking. And in talking to a lot of the open source user community, that yeah. seems to be a very common uh, train of thought. Open source equals free. That the, 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 the reason why I believe I'd 
be able to introduce this to the organization is because it's free. Right. Well, and that's where licensing comes in. I mean, just because you can download it doesn't mean that you shouldn't pay for it. And so, but we naturally think that, oh, I have it. I guess I can use it, right? Because I can just download it. But uh, you're sort of adding this layer of trust to, uh, to, okay, here it is. Here's the source. You can compile it and use it. But if you're going to use it, you must license it. Well, I think the important thing, again, for me as a user of open source software, as a .NET developer, and my interaction with many of my users, nobody gives a rat's ass about the source. Yeah. Or, sorry, 0.01% of the user base gives a rat's ass about the source. The rest of them, they just want to pull it down over NuGet right. for it to work. Uh, yeah. for there to be good documentation slash stack overflow slash Google ability that if I get an exception, I can type that into the address bar and out will pop up the solution. That's what most users care about when, when interacting with any piece of software. Um, the, the, the free, that's a big part of it. The other elements of it, you know, the, the license, MIT versus MSPL versus LGPL, it's, it's the hassle that I kind of say, well, you know, my organization says, if it's one of these three, you can use it. That's, I didn't really care what the license meant at the time. Mm-hmm. So, and Service Bus is... Is it a free product or is it not a free product? Uh, and Service Bus started out as a free product. Yeah. Um, and over time, after interacting with my users and n- not, not so much, let's call it the open source community of contributors and looking at, well, what did my users actually care about uh, and the struggles that they had in introducing it to the organization, what I found out is the vast majority of them, they wanted... Uh, let me say this differently. Their managers, given the importance of in service bus in their project, wanted to have, um, let's call it production grade support. They wanted a throat to choke. So <laughs> if there's a problem with this, I would like to be able to pick up the phone, have a guarantee that there will some, somebody else on the line. And if they, they're not on the line or they can't resolve my problem, that I can sue them. That's, that's the, the majority of our user base. It's companies using this software in a commercial setting. And ultimately, they wanted to pay in order to be able to get that. And that led me down a path of saying, oh, okay, so this whole free thing and selling services around that, that's actually not, not what the user community wants. It's mm. not in their interests. Yeah. And it's actually hurting my ability to serve my users best. So now? So the way that it is now, uh, and Service Bus is open source in the free as in speech as opposed to free as in beer model, uh, meaning that all of the sources up on GitHub, you can look at it, you can submit pull requests, all of, the, all of those elements. If you want to use it in a commercial setting, then there is a separate license for that, and uh, you pay a certain amount of money depending on your level of use. Uh, and then you use it. We also, we, we take in a tip from the Microsoft model of yeah. the, uh, what did they call it? The, the, the startup program that they have, BizSpark. BizSpark. Say, I, you know, if you're a startup, you don't have any money, you get it for free. Yeah. Um, there's also, um, and ultimately we, just, we learned licensing, not open source licensing, but software licensing from people that understood what it meant to do commercial licensing and academic discounts and nonprofit discounts and things of that nature. Um, but for the most part, there, there is a cost component to it. With the cost, uh, that comes after a certain amount of use, right? Or a right. certain, yeah. And are you leaving it up to the customer to say, oh, we're using this now, we need to pay? Um, so there is some functionality in there that, that, that checks the validity Measures. of a license, say, how long have you been using this for? Yeah. And if not, kind of throws up a dialogue box where ultimately it's a, hey, talk to us. Say, oh, you're just doing a proof of concept? You know, here's an extended trial for another right. three to six months. But we, we found that it's not only in our interest, it's in the customer's interest to have a conversation with us of, 
wait a minute, you're building it that way? Oh, no, 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 that's not the right way to do it. Mm. Uh, and let's help guide you on the path of how to use it. So they're it. more likely to have success with your product, too. That's the thing. We really want our users to be successful. How much support do you provide the startups who can't afford to pay? Uh, pretty much the same. It, it all goes in the same support bucket. Okay. Uh, we, we don't, uh, I mean, there are the cases where that we look at incidents coming in saying, is this a production critical outage? Right. Uh, where for the most part, what startups or most of the developers are coming out, they're during development. They're saying something's not really quite working for me. And again, whether there's a support email that's coming in or a stack overflow or a tweet, it all comes into the same system. And end service bus is something that works, uh, does it work on on-prem hardware or can you also run it in the cloud? And if you could run it as a cloud service, you could meter it and all of that thing and microcharge, oh, okay. I would say. But, you know, if it's running on-prem, you're sort of out of luck, right? So, uh, and Service Bus can be, it started out on-prem, but uh, we also support running in uh, platform as, as a service Azure. But it's not that end Service Bus is an external service to whatever you're doing. It's code that, that you take into your Azure solution. Right. But it's your solution, it's your account, there's no metering or anything like that. Uh, most of the time when people are in a, in a cloud elastic scale type of environment, it's per developer licensing uh, rather than any type of you know, per server or anything. Yeah. Um, I want to stay on the support side because I think we've got every kind of support scenario sitting here. So, Jimmy, how do you support Autofact when people have questions and concerns or you know, hate your product? <laughs> no one hates my product. Well, actually, that's not true. Yeah, doesn't every message start with this product sucks and here's <laughs> why? Um, one of the things I had to learn early on was uh, I couldn't reject any sort of channel people were coming in to ask for questions. Right. I got blog posts that are like seven years old that people would have comment on of like, hey, this thing is broken. <laughs> and I, I leave the comments open so that I can go back and say, well, I won't answer your question here, but I will guide you to the right place in order to do so. Right. So, so rather uh, than blocking them from being unable to comment, which would actually simplify your life, Exactly. It's like, let them have that conduit so you can lead them where they need to go. So I get, I get questions everywhere from, from Twitter, from a uh, mailing group to, uh, there's, a, there's a place on Nougat, you can say, contact this package owner. Oh, no. You can click that and I will get an email. That's Jimmy. <laughs> exactly, that's me, I'm getting that. Uh, and so what I just do is I, I try to direct them to the, the correct place. And for me, the, now the two correct places to get those questions answered are going to be uh, GitHub issues. Yep. If that's an actual bug or feature you want to have. And if it's just a question on how to use it, I actually direct them to Stack Overflow now. Nice. So people can get those uh, fake internet points and badges and things like that. And you do have a contingent of folks. I mean, I've been on Stack Overflow. You don't have to provide all support for Autofact on Stack Overflow. There's a bunch of people out there to help. No, exactly. If I, uh, most of the time when I guide them to Stack Overflow, even if I wanted to answer the question, someone usually answers it before me because yes. they really want those internet points. <laughs> Gamification works. It really, really does. Nick, uh, talk about support for Glimpse, because i got to think you feel the same kind of problems. Yeah, we actually do the exact same thing as Jimmy. I mean, I remember when he stole it from us. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think of communication with a community in a couple of different ways. There's, there's incoming communication, there's outgoing communication, and then, there, and then we have some internal communication, right? And there's right. different tools for different jobs. But I think what's important about kind of what Jimmy is saying is he's pointing those people, and we do the same thing, to highly indexable sources for all of the incoming communication, right? So anybody asking me a question, let me put it somewhere where Google can make right. them, I'm sorry, Bing, can make them find nice. the, the answer Bingle? next time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, open source is driven by a lot of volunteers, right? So if you can minimize the amount of time they have to spend answering questions or re-answering questions, yes. that means they have more time to fix bugs well, or I, contribute. I that's gotta be the biggest thing is how many times the same question is asked over and over again and just didn't get searched well in the first place. Oh, a ton, a ton. And Stack Overflow is great at SEO juice. Right. So leverage that to yeah. your advantage. So Google, you know, let me Google that for you. Exactly. But I mean, you, the, the license model on this is all very interesting because you guys are not worried about revenue on any of that. Nobody's, I, I would think people take a dependency on Glimpse too. Like you almost want to be in the foundation and or have a paid support option just so that these organizations have that guaranteed element. 
Yeah, so I think it depends, because right? there's, there's different types of open source projects, and I feel like the, the Node community has done a, a good job at this, right? Because even like in your package JSON, you have your dev dependencies and you have your production dependencies, right? Mm -hmm. Glimpse is kind of like an, uh, a unit testing framework where most people only use it at dev time. Now, there are those who configure it to be used in production and, and that can happen, um, although we don't necessarily recommend that if you have a, a huge load, at least not right now. Hopefully in the future we can, right. we can fix that. So I think for us, uh, people aren't as concerned. Like, I don't have the experience that Udi has where people are like, this thing better work in production or I'm going to come wring your neck. Nobody needs to wring my neck. Right. Yeah, the difference is, of course, it's a front-end inspection tool. It's more almost like a test platform tool where he is the center of the universe for a non-trivial amount of software. And people have a very low tolerance for failure in stuff like messaging buses. Like, that's just not funny. I'm not diagnosing that. I'm, I'm, I want to kill somebody. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario for us, we can tell our users, and we've had to sometimes, hey, sorry, we don't support your configuration. It's easy to turn glimpse off. Right. And now we're out of your way. You're not broken. And you're also not the only fish in the pond there either, right? There are other client-side instrumentation tools if you want to go pay for them. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know these other ones that you talk about. I'm pretty sure we're the only game in town. <laughs> hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time, time to give away some stuff. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited, too. Excellent. It's not, not particularly, particularly funny. funny. Okay. All right. It's, it's actually time to give away a teller. I just realized I didn't write a joke. So. Uh, I don't know that anybody else realized. I, I, I did. I realized. Actually. I am very I, yeah. sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, yes, cross-platform mobile development has been democratized for .NET developers. And now that Xamarin and all of its tooling is free for Visual Studio developers, that's great. But hold on. Before you get started on your dream cross-platform app, you don't want to reinvent the wheel with UI components. Enter Telerik UI for Xamarin. All of the UI polish you need for your Xamarin apps out of the box for iOS, Android, or Xamarin forms. We're talking complex graphs, charts, gauges, and loads of other UI elements all ready for you to use from the comforts of C-sharp or VB. Grab a free trial of UI for Xamarin or use all of Telerik DevCraft, the most complete .NET UI tool set for any app, web, desktop, or mobile. Get started today at Telerik.com slash Xamarin UI. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is, and round of applause, please, Leo Kazanovsky. No golf clap here. Real claps. Real clap for you, sir. <laughs> and uh, if you don't know what we just did, we just gave Leo a DevCraft complete collection. That's a big pile of awesome from Telerik. And if you'd like a chance to win some stuff, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And uh, should we do this? Should we yeah, ask we should them? absolutely do this. All right. This is a good part of the show. We like to ask the guys what you would buy with $5,000 if you had it to spend right now, Bill. Okay, so I like to take you off the reservation instead of the usual tech toys, the hollow lens and whatnot. And you know, Carl, I've been trying to relearn guitar again after a long absence when I had small children that didn't like the electric guitar in the house. Right. So if I had that money, I want you to go to petecornish.co.uk slash pboards.html. Now I'm going to blow your budget, but Pete Cornish is a British electronics engineer. And he designed the pedal boards for people like David Gilmore, Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page. You know, if you ever heard anybody shred a guitar, it was probably one of his pedal boards. Wow. And he did them both with, you know, he would set them up for their stage. You know, that's a lot more than 5K. But for 5K, you can get a simple one that sounds really awesome. And what is the, is, does the pedal board just have a smattering of effects? You know, your basic distortion, delay, Right, and reverb. he did both. Wiring the effects so you can put them in any order or in parallel, like for some of the David Gilmore things, right. and really did a lot of good sound engineering so that one doesn't affect the other if they're not on. Wow. And he would do things where you could put the knobs up at, on a stand for the player, 
instead of you know down on the floor next to the paddle. Right. All kinds of really neat designs. Flat black, so they look nice on stage. Nice. Cases around the foot switches and Real so on. Real performance pedals. Real performance pedals. That's really interesting. Yeah. All right. Udi. Udi. Every time I get on the show, you ask me this question. I'm it's like, true, you know, man. We keep making the show the same way. That's yeah. what we do, man. And yeah, every time, like, oh, okay, so what, what cool gadget has come out since the last time that I was on the show? And every single time, you never give me the $5,000. So it's, <laughs> it's like, I, I didn't get that, and then I didn't get this other thing, and then I didn't get this third thing, and now you're asking me so the fourth So what's the next th- thing you don't, you're not going to get? What's the next thing that I'm not going to get? I don't know. I'm, I, I'm flat out of ideas. You know what? Give me the $5,000. And yeah, I was pre- thinking, you've got five <laughs> kids. You need a, a, a vacation is what you need. <laughs> yeah. That's why I come to these conferences. <laughs> yeah, but the wife doesn't get to come. I mean, five grand will get you an au pair for a while, too. Maybe two of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm skipping this one. I've done okay. too many shows where you've asked me that question. <laughs> All right, Nick, what are you thinking? I think I would <clears throat> take the money and I would give it to the most useful open source project that I use, built by somebody under six foot tall. So I'd give it to AutoMapper and let Jimmy have some money. <laughs> so now you have 10 grand. What are you going to do? Well, Jimmy, you got 10 this. grand because Nick just donated five. I was going to do the same, so I don't know what we're going to do now. We're just exchanging gifts. They cancel each other out. I think they're going to buy a big bottle of scotch and drink it all night. With 15K, I can get Ooh. a pedal board. <laughs> Who would do that? <laughs> so I, I was kind of torn. I was, I was either going to get a... $5,000 horse-sized duck or 5,000 duck-sized horses for a dollar each. But I can't, I can't decide which yeah, one. Yeah, I don't think it'll work that way. I think it's probably five grand for a duck-sized horse, too. Yes, that, that was the, the most surreal answer anybody's ever given on Gotten It Rocks to that question. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine anyone asking for that when they actually do win the five grand. I want the horse-sized duck. Can I get the horse-sized duck, please? Duck-sized horses. <laughs> I already, I already have one of those. I don't need another horse-sized horse. Thank you. A duck-sized horse is a lot of mushu. <laughs> I'll pretend I know what that means. Oh, Jimmy. It's food, Jimmy. It's all food. All right. We've got to talk about another aspect of this, which I, the whole managing with contributors thing. So, I mean, Nick and Anthony are the bulk of the contributions to Glimpse? Yes. Like by a long way, 90%, 95%. We're also the only two people paid to work on it full time. Well, there's that too. But, you know, this is how Angular works as well. Jimmy, how many contributors of a substantial proportion to your product? Uh, it's at least 100 at this point. Okay. But it's a, it's a long tail. So you have me, of course, that has 90%. Yeah. And then another person has 5%, which is still a lot of, a lot sure. of commits. And then, it, and then it trails off after that. So a lot of people uh, will contribute because they have some, some problem they run into. And they come to me for something. I was like, oh, that's great. I don't have that problem. Perhaps you would like to submit a pull request. And so right. I kind of guide them through the process. And so so that a it's lot a feature-specific people... contribution, and it probably more or less ends there. Yeah. If it's a bug, it's usually me fixing it. Right. Um, but actually, uh, in the last couple of years, and I actually attribute this to Microsoft being more friendly to open source, I actually do get contributions from someone opening an issue, and then someone else, not me, actually fixing the issue and wow. submitting a pull request for me, which is great because, you know, less work for me. Is there a way for AutoMapper to grow past Jimmy Bogart? Like, would you hand the reins over to somebody? Like, what, what would that even look like? I have no idea what that would look like because it's been, it's been my, I mean, f- for a lot of my open source projects, it's solving real problems that I have. Right. That this was a tool you were using that you let other people use. Yeah, it was, it was, it was code I was using in production right. that I actually want. The only reason I open sourced it was I wanted to use it on the next project. So that was a natural way for me to say, well, let's not let that client keep it. <clears throat> and I will take it <laughs> to the next client so that I can, I, I can have other clients be able to take advantage of it. So for, the, for those that, uh, who's going to be the next person that, that uh, maintains this? Well, people have already created other versions for themselves. Right. So if they wanted to do that, they've, they've pretty yeah, much Yeah, it might live on that. completely independently of your branch of it, essentially. Exactly, yeah. Right. If you get hit by a bus, and I'm not recommending that. I try to avoid it. Yeah. That's a really good reason to be open source, isn't it? Because you have uh, a piece of reusable code that you don't want to, it to fall under the category of a work for hire. That's, that's the, I, I don't do open source because uh, 
you know, it's not the glory nice or guy. the money, obviously. <laughs> well, some people do it for money now. Oh. Uh, no, 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 no disparaging. I mean, um, boom. But the, the reason I do it is because I just want to use it on the next project. So if something that's a piece of code that has nothing to do with the, with the project or domain and the clients, yeah. then, then why not take it, put it out in some place reusable? Like if you needed a string that needed to be left padded a certain number of characters, <laughs> then you, know, you can use it on the next project. Who would do that? Uh, Udi, uh, contributors to, um, to end service bus. Well, yeah, I'll rewind a bit back to, to the earlier open source days. One of the things about end service bus because of the, uh, let's call it the, the, the position of the framework in people's systems right. is that it needed to be very extensible. So a lot of the stuff, you know, we need to do logging. So we made the logging stuff extensible. So, you know, in the first iteration, it came out with log for net. But then somebody else said, well, my company uses common logging. So then right. they, 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 they plugged that in over there. And then, you know, in the early days, we were only in MSMQ transport, but it was pluggable. So then somebody else said, okay, I'm going to go create uh, a TIBCO transport. Right. And, you know, in the early days, it only supported XML serialization. And then somebody else comes in and says, I'm going to do JSON serialization. So we ended up getting a lot of contributions that were of that nature. It wasn't right. so much of uh, fixing a bug or things like that. It's the, I, I like how this thing works inside of my system, but I need to, to customize various adapters in order to make it work in my environment. So just in terms of the transports, uh, somebody created a WebSphere MQ transport, somebody created an FTP transport. So we did see a lot of that stuff, let's call it around the edges. Uh, but for the most part, it was very localized. A person would be doing a specific thing and then they wouldn't really do any other contributions. So they solved that specific problem for themselves and then move on. Um, over time, what we saw is the, the rest of the users uh, they're like, oh, that's nifty. Um, somebody created a uh, WebSphere MQ transport. Do you support that? Like, uh, no, that's that's out there. Right. Um, they're like, well, then I'm sorry. You know, unless you're going to put your neck on the line, then I'm not going to use it. So we we ended up seeing fairly limited use. Yeah, of you sort the of have these of two classes of features then, right? The stuff that you guys built and will support, and the stuff the community built and you won't support. Well, we would not give it the same level of production-grade support sure. when we don't have people that, that really know anything about it. So we ended up being forced over time to kind of pull, pull that in. Uh, but, but there was a very large, same story of long tail of contributions, but it, we saw substantial contributions in various types of components. Uh, and, and there was always that push. When are you going to support ActiveMQ? When are you like going to support this? Do you then rewrite those features so that you can support them? No, we don't rewrite them, but it's kind of the, the level of code review, uh, very rigorous testing sure. that, 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 that we subject all of our stuff to. And then ultimately, once we say that something is supported, that means that it, it needs to follow our versioning scheme, which means that when a new version is released, it needs to be backwards compatible at the level of the wire, at the level of the data, at the level mm -hmm. of the API. And we start enforcing a certain process around how it works. And does that become your people making the contribution or does the original contributor continue working on it that time, at that point? Um, I'd say that uh, in some of the cases, what we ended up doing is we just ended up hiring that person. That, that's the other question I was going to ask. Is like, if you write a really great feature for an service bus, you're probably going to grab them. Uh, that, 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 that has happened more than once, yes. Which is another great reason to do the model that you've done, you know, because you actually have the income to support an employee. Well, yes, and, and, and I think that's the thing that, that, that potentially doesn't get talked about enough. And, and one of the things that, that I'm, in retrospect, sad that I did not make in service bus commercial earlier. Right is that since going commercial, we've been able to really get many more, a, a whole lot more um, meaningful support from our users. They say, we love this. And the reality is developers, they're not paying for this stuff out of pocket. Right. They're coming to their boss and their boss's boss and saying, I'd like a budget for this. This saves me however much time and it solves all sorts of production problems that we don't want to have. That is totally worth the $2,000 that we'd pay for it. So 
you know, from their perspective, it allows them to harness their organization to get more features out faster, which helps drive a, a larger body of people that delivers more value to them more quickly. Uh, it, it really only did good stuff for our users. Yeah, I can also see a model where a company like that then starts adding the feature they need and ultimately pushes it up to the open source project so they don't have to maintain it. The, the people that, that go and create the, um, the adapter type stuff? You yeah. Mean? Like, uh, the, my, my concern would be, if, okay, I'm, I'm using in-service bus. I need to use a particular transport you currently don't implement. If we implement it ourselves, we have to support it forever. But if we implement, in this scenario, if we implement it and it becomes useful enough, it could end up being a part of the core product. Right. So, so we've heard that several times. It's mm -hmm. the, we've built this, we don't want to support it. Right. I, I'd say the more common case is that company, and Jimmy, you've probably seen this countless times, uh, you, you know, you guys get brought in as consultants, you find some sort of half-baked solution that somebody's built on top of, whether it's database tables or MSMQ or some other type of thing, and you say, you know, um, you got this infrastructure, you didn't really intend to go and build a service bus, but right. you kind of half-built one. Uh, and the people that, that built it have now left the company and nobody really knows what to do with that thing anymore. Um, which is then when they contact someone like you and say, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of stuck here, can you help us out? And Jimmy says, look, you, know, you realize you've ended up building you know, half of a service bus. Uh, you should go and just use the, the, the infrastructure rather than supporting your own thing. I'd say that's the much more common scenario right. than the, we've already decided to use in-service bus and now we're doing a custom implementation and then how do we deal with the support and maintenance around that specific yeah, part? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Hey, Bill, what does it take to get into the .NET Foundation? And is that something that people should do uh, or try for or is it something that Microsoft bestows upon a project they like? Okay, so um, the .NET Foundation is an independent organization, so Microsoft doesn't bestow on it. So, okay. So some of the board members... Are they not the caretakers of it? The .NET Foundation is a separate entity, and in its charter on the board of directors, there are, and I'll forget the exact number, but roughly half of the seats are Microsoft employees, and roughly half of the seats have to be non-Microsoft employees. And is Microsoft does make a financial contribution to the, the foundation? Yes, yes. Okay. They are one of... In, Independent entity, right. mostly funded by Microsoft. At this point, right. And okay. we're certainly going to accept other contributions and so on as right. well. Right. And you do have an external influence. Right. And then the advisory council, which is what I'm on, is also, there's a certain number of seats reserved for Microsoft employees and a certain number of seats reserved for non-Microsoft employees. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a little bit of flux there because... Some you, people have joined Microsoft? And some people worked for a company that got acquired by Microsoft, like Miguel Diacaz is on the board. How would these things happen? How strange. <laughs> right. So there's going to be a little bit of a maneuvering there in terms of how the, those things change. But thankfully, it's not a lot of seats right. uh, in, in either. So and it's all with the best intent. Like you, you're right. going to have to stick to your charter, and some people are going to have to step down, and, and new people brought in. And there is wiggle room. It's like there's one or two seats that could be on either side. Okay. Right? It's not a strict, strict number, but it's between... X and Y, where there's like a little so, bit of space. So back to the question. So back to the question. Yeah. What you do is you start to contact, you can send an email, uh, martinwoodward at .netfoundation.org. And if I'm remembering that wrong, we'll update it in the show notes. But if you look just at .netfoundation.org, you'll find the addresses and you say, here's a project we would like to go in. There's a document on the site that says, here are the checklists that we would go through for an external project in terms of what it would be. For an external project, it's things like, do you have a good CLA? Right. Right, which I'll come back to Con in a second. Contributor license agreement. Contri right. Um, is it maintained? Right. We don't want abandonware. We right. want open currently source being projects. contributed to. Currently being, well, currently live. It's right. Okay. a dead project. So there are projects that are, you know, let's take um, newtonsoft.json.net. Okay. I don't know how many more features I want in it. We're okay, yeah. But... It's currently live. It's got a lot of use. There's a lot of community support for it. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's not just commits. Right. It's sort of, is this a useful live project? Yeah, people right. are downloading it. There's conversation about it. Like, it's an actively used it's project. It's an actively used project. Like Jimmy's auto, uh, auto mapper might not be getting constant daily commits. Yeah, it might even be done. It's done, right? It's done, so, right? 
<laughs> right. So, you know, well, software's never done, but it's slowing down, or, you know, the pace is slowing because the features that you want are there. So Fine. is there but a general yardstick for the kinds of projects that you guys want? Sure. So the, <laughs> and we've broken that a few times for, for what we think are really good reasons. So the general yardstick is we want it to be a useful project for the .NET community. Okay which is kind of broad. A lot of times that ends up being tools or libraries and so on. Any of the projects we've talked about here would be great projects for the .NET Foundation. Where I say we've kind of broken that charter a little bit occasionally. Um, Open Live Writer is in the .NET Foundation. Yeah, and there's a funny line. That's, I don't think anybody's right. complaining that it is in the foundation, but it doesn't really qualify. Right, and then we get something like the Worldwide Telescope is in the .NET Foundation. And also doesn't really qualify, what? but everybody wants it. Everybody wants it. What is that, actually? The Worldwide Telescope, you've probably seen the demos at Build, where you can, they even added like HoloLens support, where you can look at this and you can travel anywhere in the galaxy. And based on a lot of imagery from the Hubble Telescope and so on, you can you know, go through space and really wow. get a good, good thing. But you also zoom into Mars, Mars you can go you look know, at the moon, and it's, right. it's one of the ways to do the great from high orbit all the way down to a street. Right. Is that what they used uh, to do the HoloLens Galaxy Explorer project, or one of those? I believe so, yes. Yeah. It's related to that. So, yeah, I guess it sort so of qualifies, that. but either way, and everybody then, wants it. And then once we go through that, that checklist, it says, okay, this is useful, here's the people that are on the team, we'll even help with the CLA if that's something you're currently missing. Right. And help with the licensing if that's something you're currently missing. And then, you know, to get to some of the point of where you were asking earlier, what happens when, you know, the current project lead says, I'm done. Right. Right. Well, we hope that that doesn't happen abruptly, but we want to try to work to make sure that there is a transition and there is someone else or more than one person who would pick this up. Um, so that's one of the big ones. And then I want to loop back to the CLA a little bit because it really touched on what Udi and others were talking about is that when you accept contributions from the community, you want to make sure that those contributions fit with the license that you're trying to use and don't impinge upon, you know, if you have one of your customers, hey, here's code I want in this project, that developer had to have an agreement from his boss to be able to submit code to an open source project. It can't be owned by that customer, right? Because then that's violating your license and then you get sued and bad things happen and all kinds of things. So that's where we look at the CLAs. And we've implemented some things or used some other technology so you can do the button click and email gets sent to your boss and so on. And they say, yep, yep, if you work for somebody that comes in and, and, and so forth. And those kinds of things are part of that process as well. Do uh, projects all have to be written using uh, the .NET Core, the open source versions of .NET, or can they be? At this point in time, I don't think we have a hard requirement for that. You know, they're, they're, we're certainly encouraging people to support .NET Core for the multi-platform support, but if for a particular library it doesn't make sense, we're certainly not going to enforce that. Like if somebody had a Connect project or something right. like that, that would yeah, be that totally would, there, fine. There's no reason we'd turn that down. Yeah. You know, I think MVVM Lite, I'm not sure if that supports Core right now because mm. it's so XAML-based. Right. So. Yeah, and that's an, an interesting challenge. But I mean, Core is still being worked on, right? Right. I right. can't imagine there's a whole lot of projects in there. Why does someone even want to be in the .NET Foundation? I mean, what does it bring to an existing project that, that would, they would want? What does it bring to an existing project? Well, okay, so we'll help with the licensing. Yes. We'll help with some of the marketing. We'll help with the indemnification and the CLA. Hopefully provide a platform with more marketing and more, more support and more guidance around actually making that project a bigger part of the community. You know, some projects don't need that. You know, Glimpse is certainly an out of... What is it? The best in the top north northwestern yeah. hemisphere. You know, may not uh, need under that six support, feet tall. Yeah, but for other projects that are really up and coming, maybe it will help them. Right. right. You know, and service bus. Everybody sort of. You know, I'm not sure we market them more than than others. Yeah. Or could market them more than Udi's already doing. Um, but that's kind of where we're at. Is that this is a, an umbrella that provides a lot of guidance. You know, and we've seen a lot of questions from the community in terms of what does this open source thing mean. And while I won't answer those, people at the foundation can bring in the legal guidance and some of the other things about whether it's licensing and so on. Should we talk a little bit about Humanitarian Toolbox? Not that I want to be terribly self-serving, you and I sitting side by side here, but talk about another kind of open source. I mean, we're using open source in HTBox 
in a way, just to get away from all of the charity issues, right? It's like anybody can use it, anybody can contribute to right. it, and so forth. But you talk about a challenge for leaderships, and I'm thinking of James Chambers for Already. Exactly. You know, here are these projects where they're an idea that we're working with an NGO on, on how we can save lives, and we really need leaders for it. We, we end up leading a lot of this stuff ourselves, but we're a finite resource, Right. And there's more projects than we can possibly do. And that's sort of the stage we're at now, is we're trying to find people who want to be able to volunteer some time to lead these projects as open source projects and really drive them forward. And James has been a phenomenal, yeah, phenomenal he, person he, to do this. It was so absolutely apparent when he arrived uh, at the Codathon, and, and he, like, the project spoke to him, right? It's, it's, right? It was one of those things that mattered a lot to him, and he worked really hard on it. And, it, and within, I don't know, within the hours, you and I and, and Tony were talking and saying, I think that's our project leader over there. And, and he's been doing it ever since. Yes, he has. You know, he hosts yeah. the weekly stand-up on um, Google Hangout for anybody who wants to, wants to contribute to the project. He's helping us with managing the milestones, managing what uh, the Red Cross is asking for, yep. and, and getting those regular sprints set up, and triaging issues. And, well, and you see it in the commits, on. too. Him and David Paquette, I think, jumped awesome. out front right. within days. Well, see, and now they've been joined by a lot of other people. Yes. Right? There's um, Mike McCarthy. Um, I'm going to forget a bunch of them. Steve Gordon. Uh, have started to contribute a lot, and we get regular pull requests from a, a good team of about eight or ten people now and discussing yes. design issues and, and working to, to get those done. So that's been an awesome experience now as it's really started to get closer. And, and we're seeing things feed on this now as the Red Cross is doing pilots. Mm-hmm. We're starting to get more feedback from them saying this is what we want to do with it. And as we're getting more real use from it, from a real NGO, we're getting more contributors saying, I'm happy to put my time into this because it's being used. And uh, if you want to contribute to that great cause uh, with your software talents, it's htbox.org. We would like to thank the panel and a big round of applause for Bill Wagner, Udi Dahan, Nick Mulder, and Jimmy Bogart. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks! <laughs> .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a time boy. Life is hard.